So the topic is in preparation for Christmas. And uh, the topic is, what is the reason for this season? What is the reason for the season? I'm a poet and I don't even know it, right? <laughs> you ready? For many, uh, Christmas is simply a time to celebrate. The time and season to have a lot of fun. Eating, drinking, partying, viewing shows, movies, YouTube, clips, is the essence of Christmas for huge numbers of people. So who are some of the Persons that play a key role in Christmas. Well, they're Santa Claus. And if you're from the East Coast, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> you're from the East Coast, Frosty the Snowman. When was the last time you made a snowman? You've probably never even seen a snowman. <laughs> For many... And even Catholic Christians, all the above play a prominent role of importance for Christmas. For us, there is a deeper meaning for Christmas. Going beyond the paganistic, materialistic, hedonistic view of Christmas, there is a truly authentic reason for the season. Our response is Jesus. Jesus is the authentic reason for the season. The real gift that God wants us to receive is not so much a material gift Rather, the gift is a person. And that person is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You take Jesus out of Christmas, it's like taking our heart from our body. We simply die. Therefore, let us do all within our power to set the stage for Christmas... Let us strive to do all in our power to be prepared and ready for the most important birthday in the history of humanity. Amen? Amen. So, number one, this the season, what is the season leading up to Christmas? Should you maybe close that door? It's not a... I told you about three weeks ago, but you probably forgot. And the season is called Advent. So we're still in the season of Advent. You read that in there? Advent. No pencil? So Advent. Advent means coming. We're preparing for the coming of Christ. 
So whose birthday do we celebrate on Christmas? Don't say Santa Claus. Okay? Don't say Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. No. <laughs> say we celebrate the birthday of Jesus. You ask the little kids who are maybe in second grade, they'll probably say, yeah, it's, it's Santa Claus, it's, it's his birthday. No. Wrong. It's the birthday of Jesus. Now, where was Jesus actually born? Was he born in Mexico or New York or Rome or Madrid or Buenos Aires? Where was he born? Go ahead. Okay, good. Okay, he was born. Uh, it would be like like a barn. Yeah, good. But uh, was he born? And what what town was he born in? He was born basically in a in a barn for animals, right? Some call it a cave, a stable. A lot of different interpretations for. Okay, it's a. The word is easy to say in Spanish, but hard to say and pronounce in English. In Spanish, it's called Belen. It's a piece of cake in Espanol, but in English, it's, it's kind of a complicated word. But I'll tell you what it is. It's Bethlehem. Are any of you good spellers? Good speller? Well, how do you spell it then? No, no, L H E M. Oh yeah, sorry. Sound it out. You put the M. Okay, no. Try it again. Okay, you can do it. We're gonna cheer you on, huh? This, oh. We're gonna have a spelling bee. Should we have a spelling bee? <laughs> Go ahead. B E T H L E M E N. Okay. Yeah. L. Okay. You're, you're getting close. Uh, B-E-T-H-L-E-H-E-M. Hem, not ham, okay? Not Bethlehem, but Bethlehem. <laughs> uh, don't act like a ham now, okay? Well, you got it close, okay? We'll give you a, we'll give you a B minus, okay? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a tough word to pronounce, right? The Spanish Belen is a piece of cake, huh? Belen, no? Name a lot of the girls, Belen, no? Okay, so we're um, learning some geographical words, right? This is a multi-purpose class. We learn catechism, we learn about the Bible, theology, spelling, history, arts, museum. Even we learn a little bit about barns, right? <laughs> So what does uh, what does the name Jesus really mean? Because especially for the Jews, the name was very important. It, it meant often the the function of the person. Yes. Close. That would be the word that was given by Isaiah in the Old Testament, which means God is with us. But Jesus really means Savior. Okay. You gave another another title that they give for Christ in the Old Testament, Emmanuel. 
means God with us. Beautiful name, Emmanuel. But Savior. Now, following up on that name, he saved us from what and and from whom? Saved us from first, he saved us from the slavery to sin. No pencil here, Amanda? Can you give her a pen, a pencil? Yeah. He saved us from slavery to sin. But that's the worst slavery, to be a slave to sin. Now, in your life, you're going to be tempted to be a slave to sin. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted maybe to drink, maybe to look at pornography, maybe to use drugs, maybe to go to the casino, maybe to, you know, buy a lot of things. Your girl, you want to buy a lot of dresses. Okay, having a few, but not too many, right? You might be a slave to materialism. You'd be a slavery to your own self-love. There's a lot of different slaveries. So we want to pray that we don't become slaves to anyone or anything. But that we really live as sons and daughters of God. The freedom of the sons and daughters of God. Tell you, one of the greatest... uh, one of the greatest gifts I received is that I was called to be a priest and religious and I profess vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Maybe you heard those words. Poverty means that I don't really own anything. You might see me driving a white car and tend to, I tend to move pretty quickly, you know. I have to admit, no. But that car, that's just lent, that car, it's, it's lent to me. The other day I had to drive in the car to visit a lady that was dying there in Buena Park. Okay, I have to have a car. Quicker car than walking, right? Chastity is we renounce having a wife so that we can love God totally. Love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they say no no to having a, a biological family so I can have a spiritual family. Spiritual family. And we as priests, we've got many spiritual children. Every time I absolve someone in the confessional, which I do about four hours a day, that person is being born. And every time I baptize a baby in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Christ is born in that little baby. Every time I lift up the host in the Mass, this is my body, this is my blood... Jesus is born in my hands then born in your hearts. So it's called spiritual paternity. Got that? It's a pretty sublime idea. Spiritual paternity. And we have the vow of obedience. We obey our superiors. I have to obey my superior, Father Larry, my provincial, Father Jim, my superior in Rome. I have to obey about three or four different people. Which is beautiful in a certain sense because when I when I obey, I know that God is going to bless me. I'll give an example. Years ago, I was in Argentina and Chile. Now, when I was in Chile, I was doing a lot of good work, giving a lot of retreats and 
really happy there. And my superior said, hey, I want you to come up to California because not enough priests in Hawaiian Gardens. I said inside, I don't want to go there. I've never been in California, and I don't want to go to California. No? I don't even like the Angels. I don't like the Dodgers. I don't like California. My superior said, well, I want you to go to California. They obeyed, and now it's been the best time in my life. I've had some of your mothers as my students in confirmation. No? The best, you know, the best time in my life. Well, because I didn't really want to go at first. But my superior said, you got to go. I said, okay, I'll go. And the best, best 28 years in my life, even before, you, were, you weren't even born yet 28 years ago, were you? No. But uh, obeying, no? So when we learn how to obey God through, through our parents, God will bless us. We obey the laws of the church, God will bless us. Obey the Ten Commandments, God will bless us. Not always easy, but there's a true freedom when you learn how to obey God through certain persons, places, things, and circumstances. Amen? Okay. So, he saves us from the slavery to sin, saves us from sadness. Saves us also from the devil. He also saved us, lastly, from the fires of hell. So the word Jesus has a very wide interpretation. He saves us from all that is bad. He wants to give us all that is good. Okay, now the meaning of that town, the meaning of the town right down Bethlehem, there's a lot of symbolism in the meaning of this name of the town where Jesus was born. Bethlehem means, it means the house of bread. Got that? The house of bread. You can write next to that Jesus. Right next, Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus was born in the house of bread, but he is the bread of life. Let me give you another. Another very important word is uh, if you know language well, you're able to go in a lot of different directions. Now, where they placed Jesus is the, the where, where they placed him. This is the word we use in American English. Was in a in a manger. You ever hear that word manger? Now it's interesting. Parlez-vous français? None of you speaks French? Un petit peu? No? <laughs> okay. 
I'm going to give you a brief lesson in French today, too. We're learning a lot of languages today, right? The word, in English we say manger, but in, in French it's called manger. If I say j'ai mangé, it means uh, je come in Spanish. In English, I ate. Or in Italian, o mangiato. How about that? Four different languages, huh? <laughs> so this, this means, it means to eat. Where was Jesus placed? On a trough where animals would eat. So he's placed on the hay where animals will eat. So very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. The eating trough for the animals. All seem to fall into place if you think it through. Okay, now. So there's the meaning of Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Jesus was placed on the manger where animals eat. Who were among the first to visit the infant Jesus? Okay, I'll give you a hint. Who came to visit were, were, the, were the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich. How about that as a contrast? Right, Mary? The poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich. The poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich. Huh? Who would be the poorest of the poor and who would be the richest of the rich? Using your, your keen intellect. Okay, so the first group would be the shepherds. So the shepherds are the are, are the poorest, poor poor people. Okay, what do the what do the shepherds teach us? Write write this down. They teach us the importance of poverty. Humility and detachment from material things. Okay? Poverty, humility, and detachment from material things. Poverty and humility and detachment from material things. They were poor, they were humble, and they certainly did not possess many things. But God chose them, of all people. Have any of you ever heard of a lady, Fatima? Our lady, Fatima, uh, the three most important Marian apparitions would be Our Lady Guadalupe, which celebrated the, the 12th. It was on Monday, I think, yeah. Uh, Our Lady of Lourdes, she appeared at St. Bernadette in France. But Our Lady of Fatima appeared... Do you know where? Portugal in the year 1917. And she appeared to three little shepherd children. Interesting. Huh? You know their names? Francisco. Okay, so Lucia, Lucia, and Jacinta and Francisco. Jacinta and Francisco were brother and sister. Their last name was Marto. Lucia was their older cousin, Lucia de los Santos. But Our Lady appeared to these three humble shepherd children. Yeah. 
Okay, then there was another group that came to visit Jesus. Go ahead. No? Taking it through? Okay. Magi, and they're sometimes called, also they're sometimes called, the what? Yes. Uh, were they the, the, the wise men or the wise guys? Are you a wise guy? <laughs> no, the wise guy, no. <laughs> no, the three, the, the three major are the three wise men, not the three wise guys, okay? <laughs> okay, what led, what led them to Jesus was that uh, maybe they got a text message or an email or maybe they got a, fix, a quick phone call? How? You got it. So they they were they were uh, astrologers. They were astro- they were scientists that would study nature, okay? and it had been revealed to them interiorly that there was going to be a special star in the east, and if they follow that star enough, it's going to be a long journey. That star would eventually lead them to the new savior. Now, exactly where it was, most scholars say it was probably from Persia. Okay, from Persia. It's not written in the Bible, but they followed the star. Okay, did the star take them right away to Jesus? Where did they? Where did they go first? You know. Okay, what happened was they first were led to a very bad king. And the name of the king was Herod. So they arrive at Herod's palace and they say, where is the newborn king to be born? And Herod was very nervous because he thought, uh-oh, there's another king, that means that I'm going to lose my crown. So he consulted the experts who knew the Bible where is this king going to be born? They said, it's going to be in Bethlehem. So he sent off the kings and said, go and you find him and tell me so that I can come and worship him also. He was a liar. Because he had the intention of not worshiping Jesus, but actually killing him. So what's going to happen is these wise men, they're going to return to their country by another route. When Herod finds out, he's infuriated. And he sends these soldiers to kill all the little baby boys two years and younger with the intention of killing Jesus. And then what happens is St. Joseph has a dream of an angel. And the angel says to St. Joseph, get up and go into Egypt because that wicked king wants to kill your son. So St. Joseph got up in the middle of the night, he took Jesus and Mary, and they fled into Egypt until that wicked king was killed. And he killed all those little baby boys. 
And you see pictures of these big soldiers with knives slitting the throats of these little children. No? King Herod. So that's the, that's the story. I mean, Christmas, Christmas is not simply Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Snanger. Christmas, there's a lot of serious things that are happening. Even some evil things happen by evil men. So when we say the three, the three wise men or the major, they're, they're related to the killing of these innocent children. So shortly after Christmas, we celebrate what is called Holy Innocence. Okay? Did you know that? So the day after Christmas, we celebrate St. Stephen, the first martyr, then St. John the Evangelist. Then we celebrate the Holy Innocence. These little innocent children that died for Jesus Christ. All this you can read in in uh, Matthew chapter 2. Okay. The second chapter of Matthew chapter 2. Okay. Now, interpretation for us, okay, is this. You write this down. God, God can speak to us. This is number 11. God can speak to us In many ways. If you can put after that a colon. You know what a colon is? Two dots. You know grammar? Well, okay, if a colon, that means there's going to be something that, the idea that follows that first idea. Okay, there are three ways. God speaks to us through the Bible, through circumstances, and through nature. Okay? God speaks to us through, through the Bible, through circumstances, and through nature. So you read the Bible, the Bible is the Word of God. Okay? Through circumstances. Through circumstances in your life. You look back in your life, you're going to see very often how God intervened in your life and helped you out of difficult circumstances. And then God speaks also through the beauty of nature. Now, through the beauty of nature, you have to have some silence in your life and you have to have time to use your intellect and to reflect. If there's a lot of noise, you're always moving from one activity to the next, you're not going to be able to pick up God in many ways. But if you stop and you think and you reflect, you can see how God is working in your life. Okay, here's the big question. In nature, I suggested your parents in the talk at last night for your teenagers, you know, on, on vacation, go and take a nature walk. You've never done that in your life. Now, here in Southern California, we live in Southern California, uh, you've got two, mo two of the most beautiful things in nature. You go north, where Mary's brought up, you've got the San Gabriel Mountains. You've got the mountains. Mountains are beautiful. You ever climb a mountain? I climbed the Alps in Europe. And I climbed Mount Kearsarge in New Hampshire. Hey, you never climb a mountain. It's tough work. First thing I did, I was... I was 25. The other one, I was about 60. There's a big difference. <laughs> you feel the difference. 
<laughs> I tell you. Try to climb a mountain when you're 25, then when you're 60. There's a big difference, huh? But it's not easy. But climbing a mountain and just seeing everything that's present in the mountain makes you think about the majesty of God. You've got a poetic flair to your, to your personality, though. Then if you go down south, 15 to 20 minutes, you're at Seal Beach, Newport Beach, Long Beach. You're walking along the shore. Have you ever done that? I've been in the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. Maybe you've been in the Pacific. I've been in both of them. You ever look at the ocean? Things you don't reflect, but if you really reflect about, there's so much can be said about the ocean. But one is, if you look at the waves, the waves are coming in and going out. They're coming in and going out. They're coming in and going out. That's the way God is. There's no beginning and no end. It reflects the eternity of God. Then there are powerful waves. About 15 years ago, there was what's called a tsunami. Ever hear the word tsunami? Spanish maremoto. Tsunami was this huge waves came down on India, in Indonesia, Pakistan, killed about a quarter of a million people. Wow. So that shows also makes me think about the power of God. God is eternal, and God is powerful. This is only going to come about if you stop to think and reflect, as I do. As I do. So, these astrologers teach us the importance of trying to find God present in all things, but also in, in nature. Have you ever, ever gone to the Long Beach Aquarium, any of you? Do you know what an aquarium is? Maybe they don't know what that is. No? You know what impressed me? You've never been to an aquarium. You ought to go. All these different fish. And what variety, the different species. If you look at this catfish, there's another type of catfish. You look at this zebra fish. You'll, I mean, it's incredible. Oh, that was created by God. Okay, maybe you don't like fish. Have you ever been to Animal World there in San Diego? Never been there either, huh? They've never been there. It's incredible to see the variety of the different animals. Maybe you've been to Sea World? Haven't, haven't heard in San Diego? They've never been. They're a deprived culture of this group. But what impresses me is God is a, a God of variety. My uncle once said, God could have created the world in black and white, but he created colors. I like that. Yeah. This, this may shock you. When I started watching TV as a little kid, it was only black and white, and there were only about two or three programs. Did you know that? Yeah. Remember, Mary? TV was just black and white. There were about three programs you could see early Sunday morning. No? Now, you probably have a thousand different channels, and they're not only black and white, but a lot of different colors, too. No? So, our God is a God of variety. 
you ever look at a rainbow? Never seen one of a rainbow. You got the sun coming. You look up at the sky. You have these different colors. It's almost as if God is a painter and he takes a paintbrush and he goes, zoom, an arc. So, I'm talking to you tonight like a poet, okay? Because I am a writer, by the way. No? As a poet, a poet is someone that's he's able to see beyond the mere natural. Okay? And a mystic is able to see God behind nature. See? Poet is one thing. But a mystic has eyes to see God beyond the mere natural, natural uh, appearance. So maybe during Christmas they can take a nature walk with their parents. They climb the mountains and walk along the ocean. And pray for the grace to be able to see God present. Because beyond the beauty is the creator of all beauty, and that's God himself. Beyond the beauty is the creator of all beauty. And the creator of all beauty is God himself, the author of all good things. Amen? Okay, so that's my interpretation. Be able to be able to interpret God present in the Bible in circumstances as well as in in nature. Okay, next. What are okay, what are the three gifts? So the major I brought three gifts. What were those three gifts? I'll give you a hint. You can turn the page and then you can read the next. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of cheating, huh? Are you, you turned it and you're looking at it. Okay, I already gave you a hint, huh? So the three gifts would be gold. The next would be gold. The next would be Frankenstein. No? Not Frankenstein, no? Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, not Frankenstein. Frankincense, okay? I mispronounced it, okay? <laughs> it's like the letter of St. Paul is letter to the Filipinos, right? Another the Philippines, huh? <laughs> so gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So write that in there. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we're going to give the symbolic interpretation of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay? So let's take gold. So these three words are symbolic of three different dimensions of the personality of Christ. I'm going to throw three different dimensions of who Christ is. Gold is because Jesus is king. He's the Lord of lords and he's a king of kings, right? He's king. But not a worldly king, but a heavenly king that wants to reign in our hearts. See, not a worldly king, but a heavenly king wants to reign in the depths of your hearts. You know, the best throne of Jesus Christ is in the very depths of your heart. That's where he wants to reign. Now and for all eternity. Yeah. Okay, viva Cristo Rey, right? Que viva Maria Reina, la... General la la Virgen de Guadalupe. So you might even ask yourself, is Jesus, is he really the king of your life? 
Is he the king of your memory? Is he the king of your understanding? Is he the, ki- the king of your imagination? Is he a king of your emotions? Is he the king of your heart? Is he a king of your intentions? Is he reigning totally over all you, all you, all you are? I think all of us would have to say, well, not totally yet, right? But at least we're working on it. We want him to, we want him to reign, reign totally in us. Everything, every fiber of our being is under the dominion of Christ the King. Every fiber of our being. That's, that should be our desire. Like the saints, right? Like John the Baptist. Or John the Cross the other day. Huh? Yeah, John the Cross. Alright, so let's move on to the second, which would be Frankenstein? No, no, frankincense, okay? I keep mispronouncing that, huh? Frankincense. What is this frankincense? Maybe you've met, maybe you've seen in some special masses on Sunday. You'll see it in the Christmas Mass. We had it for a Lady Guadalupe. That we actually use, we use the incense. And that technical, that technical um, thing, it's called a thurible. Okay? So, uh, my friend here has helped me out many times in using the, the thurible, right? So, you, you take the thurible, you, could, you, know, you can call it the incense pot too, if you want to be a little bit more down to earth, okay? And you put these burning charcoals in it. Then, the burning charcoal, you have what is called a boat that holds the incense. You open up the lid, and then you place this incense on these burning charcoals. And what do you see? This, this white smoke that's ascending on high. I love it. You notice if you ever serve with different priests, you can't give me too much. I love, Father Dave has got allergies, so he's got no, no, just one or two. I, I love the incense. No. I love the smell, number one. And I, I love the smell. So I come out for about an hour. I smell like incense. Nope. <laughs> I smell like incense. <laughs> then I walk around the parking lot and the incense disappears. Nope. I just have the smell of wine gardens. Okay, Well, better than nothing, right? <laughs> so <laughs> the, the white smoke ascending on high is symbolic of our prayers going up to heaven. Of our prayers going up to heaven. And when I do a funeral mass, and the funeral mass we're going to have the incense, I'll tell the people, let's pray now that through our prayers, Juanito who's died, that his soul will start to ascend on high and to go to heaven. So two things. Our prayers, and we want the soul of that person to go up on high. And Father Al Hall would say this. I, I always like this, uh, this suggestion. When you're doing funerals, call to mind some happy moment you have in the life of this person that died. And often that is the last prayer. It's cool, huh? Yeah. So call to mind some happy moment that you had in the life of that person died. And offer that as your last prayer as this white smoke ascends on high. Then lastly... St. Paul says 
that you are the fragrance of Christ. You are the fragrance of Christ. You are the fragrance of Christ. It means that you are called to become holy as Christ is holy. As St. Paul says, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Did you know that this parish, St. Peter Chanel, is related to that perfume company, Chanel Number no. 5? They probably never heard that. There used to be a very famous perfume back years ago. He's related to that, uh, to that person who started the perfume company. So we're called to become the fragrance of Christ, the perfume of Christ, by living holy lives. Okay, so right next to frankincense, the divinity of Christ. The divinity of Christ means that Christ is God. He's God. He's the king, but he's also God. He's also God. So we arrive at the myrrh. What is this myrrh stuff? Well, in, in the modern American life, it would be like embalsaming fluid when you place this special fluid on the dead body. So... It, it would be a, a perfume or an ointment that you would use to anoint dead bodies. Okay? So you might just write the word, an, an ointment used to anoint dead bodies. An ointment that used to anoint dead bodies. So... That points, okay, and then lastly, in that same number, it points to the humanity of Christ. That he, as a man, was going to die one day. It points to the humanity of Christ that one day he was going to die. Why did he die? He died to give us life. The paradox, isn't it? He died so that we would have eternal life. How great Christ is, huh? How thankful we should be for Christmas. He, he came so that he would die for us. Yeah. Die for us. Okay, so if you want to summarize those three, those three uh, symbolic gifts, I'll give you three easy words. Royalty, divinity, and humanity. Okay, got that? Royalty, divinity, and humanity. Royalty, he's a king. Divinity, he's God. Humanity, he became a man for us. Okay, good. So those are the symbolic gifts of the magi, or the wise men, okay? Okay, Christmas... Now, Christmas, the, the meaning of the word Christmas is very interesting. In, uh, in Italian, the word for Christmas is Natale. In French, it's Noel. In Spanish, you probably know a little bit of Spanish, La Navidad, right? You probably heard that. I hope you have. 
I hope you have. Mary's parents speak English, Spanish, and she's la Navidad, right? Okay, but in English, we have another word, which is very different from Spanish and Italian. And the name in English is, it's a compound word. That means that the word has two different words in it. Compound, not a simple word, but a compound word. It's, that's the first part of the compound word. The second part of the compound word would be M A S. Okay, we don't have the second S, which would be. But what it means is the Mass of Christ. Christmas means the Mass of Christ. Write that down. It means the Mass of Christ. It means the Mass of Christ. The Mass of Christ. So, during your Christmas break, so are, are they on vacation now for the next three weeks? No? I guess it depends on the school, huh? Are you on vacation? No? Do you have another another week of school? So ne- the following Friday? Okay. Then you have two weeks break. I think it depends upon the school district, but okay, most of you have one more week of school. Yes? No? Yes? Okay, so I guess it's a mixed bag here, okay. But anyway, uh, at least all of you by next Friday will have, you'll, you'll be off for probably a couple of weeks. So make sure, make sure that you're all going to be going to go to Mass on Christmas. And by the way, we do have Mass this Sunday here in the church for you. We didn't have it last week because of Our Lady Guadalupe, right? But let me tell you this. I mean, you're you're getting you're, you're getting close to confirmation. You should have you should be arriving at a point where I shouldn't have to say to you nor your mom and dad that you have to go to mass. Okay? We're going to have arrived at a certain point where your parents, and as well as the priest, we're not going to have to say, you have to go to Mass. Why? Because you want to go to Mass even though you're not forced to go. Because you're going to be confirmed, God willing, you know, maybe in April or May, we don't know the exact date, but it's not too far away. You're going to have to arrive at a point where you say, I really want to go to Mass because I believe in Mass, I love God, I want to receive Holy Communion. Because this is the reality. Most confirmation students, after they're confirmed, they go off to college, they give up the practice of the Catholic faith. You hear me? I'm not negative or cynical. I don't want to be a party pooper. or I want to knock the wind out of your sails. But it's the truth. That's why I'm I'm the teacher of your parents in the formation classes. And I'm telling your parents, I'm telling your parents, before you go to college, you come with your mom and dad, you speak to me. Yes. Yes. You should come and speak to me and I can give you a a lot of free advice. 
A lot of free advice. To make the wrong choice in the college, you'll lose your faith and you'll lose your soul for all eternity. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? I want you all to go to college, but you, gotta, you have to be very, very careful in where you're going today. Because most of you, you know, you're freshmen, sophomores, some of you are already juniors, you know, you're getting pretty close to making that decision. And that's huge. I know the good, you know, the, the, you know, the best colleges are on the East Coast. You know, they're the Ivy League College, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Dartmouth, Columbia, Brown. I mean, I, I know a lot about the college. I went to college many years ago. But I would know the situation better than your parents. And I have very clear ideas on what you can do so that you can maybe avoid not losing your faith when you go to college. It's huge. And I've told the parents I don't think they take this as seriously as they, they should in helping you to make that decision. I mean, it's, it's true. Most go to college and then they lose their faith when they're going to college. When they come home from vacation, mom says, look, go to mass. Well, I don't believe in that anymore. Yeah. Mom fights with the daughter, fights with the son. And the daughter starts to live with her boyfriend. And it's a disaster. We don't want that for them. Right? We want the, we, we, what I want, I want, I want you to get to heaven. Right? And my, my hope is that all of you get to heaven. And if, if it's going to take a lot of sacrifices and right decisions, okay, let's make the sacrifice and make the right decision to get these kids to heaven. Right? We've got to get them to heaven. That's the purpose of confirmation, to help you all to get to heaven. What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul, Jesus says. Okay, you're a multimillionaire and you die in this mortal sin, you go to hell. You can't take your money with you. You can't take your mansion with you. You can't take your Mercedes Benz with you. You can't take your beautiful yacht from Newport Beach with you. You can't take that. You can't take that to hell. <laughs> the devil wouldn't let you ride it anyway, if, if, even if you did take it to hell. Huh? <laughs> He wouldn't. No. He'd steal it from you. Now, yeah, this is a nice car. See you later, alligator. Get back into the fire now, okay? So we got to we got to make it to heaven. Amen. Got to make it to heaven. All right. So the next the next point is Christmas. The meaning of Christmas is the Mass of Christ. How can Jesus be born in my heart? How can he be born in my heart? I'll tell you. By going to Mass, by going to Mass and by receiving Holy Communion. Yeah. The best way, you go to Mass and you receive Holy Communion Jesus is born in your heart. O little town of Bethlehem, your heart is the little town of Bethlehem. Right? Famous Christmas songs in English, O little town of Bethlehem. Our heart becomes the little town of Bethlehem. Jesus is born. So every time we go to Mass and receive communion with love, 
What's happening is Jesus is being born in your heart. How can I clean my own interior Bethlehem? When I was your age, when we had guests, I was brought up with English etiquette. English etiquette. When we had guests, I tell you, man, we had to clean that house. Spending a whole day to receive the guests, that's the way I was brought up and raised. I hated it when, get, when, get, when the guests came because washing and cleaning, I had to take the bath. I don't like to take a bath as a little kid. I mean, it was a, it was, it was a lot of suffering for me. But we would try to really prepare to receive the guests. Well, what about the guest Jesus within our heart? Shouldn't we clean our heart? We certainly should. So how are we going to do that? Make a good confession. So by making a good confession, you can be cleaning your own interior Bethlehem. Your own interior Bethlehem by a good confession. Okay, what are other feasts in the Christmas season? Okay, letter A you can put is Holy Family. We celebrate Holy Family in the Christmas season. Holy Family. Then also, letter B would be we celebrate uh, Mary, the Mother of God. Mary, the mother of God. Then the third, we celebrate what is called Epiphany. And Epiphany is a feast day of the, of the three kings. Those are the three principal feast days we celebrate in the, in the Christmas season. In the Christmas season. So what are what are these three what are three gifts that you can you can give to Jesus for his birthday? And you give him three gifts. Okay, the first gift we can give to him. already mentioned it, but we'll say it again. By going to Mass, going to Mass and receiving Holy Communion. Going to Mass and receiving Holy Communion. And then the second would be by making a good sacramental confession. What's that sheet? What is it? What is it? I'd like to explain one, then you can explain the others, okay? Now the third would be to seek to give rather than to receive. Okay? 
We're always saying, what's, what's in it for me? You know, that's the way we're born. We're born egotistic. We seek to serve and to give rather than to receive. Okay. I would like to make one of the announcements and then you can read the others. Okay. We have decided that this, is, this could be the most powerful experience in your life. January 3rd, 4th and 5th, we're going to be giving you a New Year's retreat in which you're going to be coming in and you're going to be watching a beautiful movie on the life of Christ. And the name of it is named The Chosen, which you're going to have a movie. It's only about a half hour, maybe 35 minutes, on the life of Christ. So this is, this is going to be right after New Year's, January 3rd, 4th and 5th. It'll be from 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock. And we're hoping that as a result of this, that all of you will really have an experience with Christ. We're hoping that this will really change your life. That Christ will become real for you. Okay, that Christ will, he's going to be real for you. Because face it, most of you don't like to read probably. You prefer Instagram, you prefer DVD, you prefer your phone, you like images, this and that. Okay? So we're going to meet you where you're at. And this is probably, probably right now, maybe the best movies that are made, being made on Christ in, in, in the world. This actor is named Jonathan Rumi. He's making a series of little short movie clips in the life of Christ. So our hope is that you, by watching this, you see Christ and he becomes real for you. Not just someone that lived 2,000 years ago and you're reading in the Bible, okay, that's fine, but someone who's real for you right now. And once you have this, this encounter with Christ, he's going to change your life. He's going to change your life. So that's our, our ardent desire for all of you, that by this mini-retreat, which will be three days, and that will be January 3rd, 4th, and 5th, you will have a real encounter with Christ. Okay, so that's... Uh, you can read the other announcements. I'd like to say a closing prayer, and I'll give them my blessing. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Bless the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. You other announcements? Okay, good. You're welcome. Okay, so students are here.